To begin our time in the Word tonight, I want to take a couple of minutes to tell you why I'm bringing a sermon uh, on this subject. Uh, There are two primary reasons. Uh, The first and perhaps the most obvious is that I have children, uh, children who are growing up and coming to that age where they are starting to spend more time outside the home and so are more open to other influences. As parents, we are dealing with the inevitable challenges that come with the move from childhood to adolescence. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's where your children are and some of you will be arriving there very soon. It will happen much quicker than you think. That's the first reason. Uh, The second reason for addressing this subject is because uh, the the children of our church have been on my mind over the last couple of months. Uh, I've been the pastor here for long enough to see babies become toddlers and toddlers become preschoolers and preschoolers go to kindergarten and so on. And it's beautiful. Uh, One of the joys of pastoral ministry is to watch this happen and to be part of their lives. I, I love being a pastor to the kids. As I see them growing up, I want them to be safe. I want them to be protected from all of the evil in this world because there's so much of it and it can hurt them so badly. That's been a prayer I've been praying of late. Lord, please protect them. So these thoughts that I'm going to share tonight have been turning over in my mind for a while and that's why I'm bringing a message on this subject and God willing it will be a blessing And a help to us all, whether we have children or not. I want to begin with a question. I'm going to suggest some possible answers, and then I'm going to give you the biblical answer. Uh, If I were to ask you, what is the greatest danger facing our children today, what would you say? Some of you might suggest that it's the secular worldview that is being aggressively pushed in many of our institutions and in the media and the ethics that are associated with this worldview, particularly the sexual ethics, uh, the acceptance and celebration of homosexuality, the redefinition of marriage, the reimagining of gender and so on. Uh, Some might say that this is what poses the greatest threat to our children. They're going to have to deal with this new orthodoxy and it's going to be very difficult to stand against. Others might say that it's the culture that's the greatest danger our children face. Our culture that is marked by consumerism, by instant gratification, by the idealisation of a very self-centred way of life. It's a culture that's so easy to buy into. Our children are going to be severely tempted into becoming materialistic and hedonistic. It's going to be so hard not to imbibe these values. Technology might be put forward in answer to this question. That's what's going to cause the greatest problem. The the ubiquity of the screen, the iPhone and the iPad and a million different apps that cater to every desire. Going hand in hand with technology is social media and the internet. Uh, I suspect this would be a popular choice if we were to conduct a survey where we asked Christian and non-Christians what they thought was the greatest danger our children are facing. 
If we think about the internet, that leads inevitably to the issue of pornography. Uh, This is something the secular world is waking up to. The the massive detrimental impact that easy access to porn is having on young people today. Warping their minds, altering their behaviour. It's terrible. This would certainly be near the top of my list when it comes to the dangers our children face. There are probably other things people would suggest. uh, Things like bullying or peer pressure, or uh, drugs and alcohol. But what does the Bible say? How does the Lord answer this question? Well, the answer is found here in Proverbs chapter 22, in the first part of verse 15. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, which says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That's the greatest danger our children face. (laughs) The foolishness that is in their own hearts. The foolishness that is innate. (laughs) The foolishness that wasn't imported. The foolishness they didn't have to learn. One author has said that this verse teaches the doctrine of original folly. (laughs) And I think that's a very good way of putting it. The doctrine of original folly. When the author of Proverbs uses this word foolishness, he's not talking about silliness. He's not talking about frivolity or about a lack of seriousness. Children by nature like to laugh and play games and chase each other around and call out. They like to have fun. We see that after the services here on Sunday. Uh, Children behaving like... Children! That's not what this verse is referring to. This Hebrew word occurs 23 times in the book of Proverbs. And I've put a couple of definitions in the outline. It refers to moral corruption from the standpoint of its impact on judgment and reason. It is moral ineptitude or weakness... A failure to live up to God's standards in accordance with his covenantal precepts. In the Old Testament, it is a moral defect rather than an intellectual disability. It is portrayed as the antithesis of a godly lifestyle. As I said, it's not silliness. It's not a lack of gravitas or a a problem with one's mental capabilities. It's moral weakness and corruption that manifests itself in bad decisions. And disobedience to God's law. This is what is bound up in a child's heart like the steel that is tied into a concrete slab. And we get a, a sense of how serious this is, of how great the danger is when we follow this word through the book of Proverbs. Now there are two words translated fool and folly in the Proverbs. They're fairly close in meaning, but if we just look at some examples where this particular word is used, we have a very disturbing picture. Let me show you. This this foolishness that is bound in the heart of a child is associated, first of all, with sexual immorality. We see this in Proverbs chapter 5. This is the chapter where Solomon warns his son about the strange woman and where she will take him. It's one of the classic texts in Scripture on the subject of adultery. 
And at the end, this is what Solomon says about the man who commits this sin. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 23. He shall die without instruction and in the greatness of his folly. He shall go astray. Secondly, this word is associated with the destruction of the family. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. This was our text on Mother's Day this year. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. This moral weakness, this moral corruption is what ruins marriages and families. It leads to the kinds of behaviours that tear households apart. Thirdly, this word is used in relation to being short-tempered, angry and dangerous. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. And then there is this verse that employs a very interesting comparison. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 12. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. (laughs) A mama bear who's had her cubs taken away is pretty angry, pretty volatile, pretty dangerous. But it's safer for her that she meets an ordinary man rather than a fool in his folly. A fool in his folly is more volatile, more dangerous than she is. He's a danger to her. That's the idea. It's a great picture. That angry mother bear runs away from the fool in his folly. You see, this foolishness manifests itself in anger and rage. This is a person who lacks self-control. Fourthly, this word is associated with being morally perverse and angry with God. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Then number five, this word is used in relation to a sinful thought life. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 9. The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. There are other examples we could look at, but I think this is more than enough for us to recognise the extent of the problem. This foolishness that manifests in all of these ways is right there in our children's hearts. They have all the potential to become men and women whose lives are marked by a lack of restraint, by anger, by sexual immorality, by pride, by perversity, by... The rejection of God's law. What Solomon says here in our text is right in line with what Jeremiah said about the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's also in keeping with what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 verses 20 to 23. He said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries, fornications, murders thefts, covetousness wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness an evil eye, blasphemy pride, foolishness all these evil things come from within and defile the man the fallenness and the folly of their own hearts. That's the greatest danger our children face. 
That's how the Bible answers this question. And with this in mind, I want to leave you with five things to think about. Five points of application. Number one. The evil in the world is very dangerous, primarily because by nature our children are drawn to it. The evil in the world is very dangerous, primarily because by nature our children are drawn to it. Sometimes we think of the, of the evil out there as if it's coming to get our children, like a gang of ugly marauding orcs. It wants to take them away against their will and ruin their lives. Now, unfortunately, there are rare occasions where that happens, and it's very sad. Children are mistreated and abused by wicked adults. God forbid that should happen to any of our children. Most of the time, that's not how it goes. The evil out there is not some scary, threatening force. Quite the opposite. It's attractive. Our children are drawn to its various manifestations. They go towards it willingly. They like the bad stuff because of the bad stuff in their own hearts. The foolishness that is bound up there. Eve wasn't terrified into committing sin, was she? (laughs) No, she was seduced into committing sin. That evil was alluring. What was promised to her was very desirable. And so it is when it comes to our children. Uh, This is why all of those things I mentioned earlier are so very dangerous. Consumerism, materialism, pornography and so forth. Our children's hearts are naturally inclined to pursue those things and what they promise. The, The folly within means the folly out there in the world doesn't look like folly at all. As parents, we have to recognise this. We have to understand that our children are predisposed to go away from what God wants for them and to pursue the things that will do them great harm. And that leads us to the second point for us to think about. We can protect, but still neglect. We can protect, but still Neglect. We can protect our children from the mosquitoes, but forget about the snakes. Now, we can do our best as parents to protect our children from harmful influences. We can make certain decisions about their schooling. We can regulate their use of technology. We can stop them from watching and listening to certain things. We, we can have very clear rules about where they go and who they spend time with and so on. We can take all of these steps to protect our children from evil, but neglect the real problem. Do very little to address the greatest danger they face, and that is themselves and their own desires. This folly that Solomon talks about in our verse. It's like going camping in the bush and going to great lengths to protect the kids from mosquitoes, but doing nothing to keep them safe from snakes. As parents, we can put all our energies into dealing with the dozens of little things that can do a little bit of harm, but forget about the one thing that can do the most harm. I've been around conservative circles long enough to have seen children raised in very strict households, 
who were not godly at all. They were raised by Christian parents who went to great lengths to protect them from worldly influences. No TV, no movies at the cinema, no pop music, homeschooling all the way through, a strict dress code, hours and hours of church every week, etc, etc, etc. And when the opportunity finally came, these kids headed off into the world and got into as much sin as they possibly could. Now, of course, I don't know what happened behind closed doors. Maybe those parents did all they could to address the hearts of their children. But maybe they didn't. Maybe they thought all of that protection from the outside world was enough. The point is we have to be so careful that in our zeal to guard our children from the evil out there, we miss the evil in here. We miss where the real issue is. It's what's happening on the inside That leads us to point number three. Only the Holy Spirit can change a person's heart, including our children's. We're often quick to say this when we talk about our unsaved friends and colleagues, but you know, it's true for our kids as well. They need the work of God in their life. They need illumination and regeneration. They need to be born again just as much as that uncle or cousin or work colleague that we've been praying for for years. The new birth, new life in Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit, conversion. This is the only genuine protection from the greatest danger they face. We can't change our children's hearts. There is no program that we can implement, no method we can apply. There isn't a parenting book out there in a Christian bookstore that can give you the steps... There is a marked difference between conforming and transforming. We can get our children to conform, but only the Lord can transform them. Change them inwardly and authentically. But, and this is point number four, and this does not excuse us from our responsibility. We are the primary means that God uses to bring our children to faith and a spiritual maturity. And we can't sit back and say, well, God has to change them. There's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how I raise them. (laughs) That's not the case. And that's clear in our text. What does the verse say? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, so you're just going to have to wait until the Lord changes their heart. Is that what it says? No. It says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion about discipline tonight and about corporal punishment. The point is that we can do something. In fact, we can do many things that bring our children to the place where the Lord can and will work in their hearts, and it's our responsibility to do so. This is our charge from the Lord. Our children are in our care for this purpose. But yes, we are doing the disciplining and the teaching. We are having those heart-to-heart conversations. We are praying with them. We are making sure they're under the sound of God's word each week. We are being an example to them. Yes, it's, it's us. It's our endeavour as parents. But by these means, God is working in their lives. This is what God calls us to do for their sake, for their salvation. 
for their growth in grace, for their protection. The Bible lays out our responsibility very clearly. Just a few texts by way of reminder. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old he will not depart from it. Proverbs chapter 23 verses 14 and 15. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 17. Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All of this means that in our parenting we have to address the whole person. And that's point number five. Dealing with the external things is fairly straightforward. You know, making sure they're fed and clothed and get to school on time isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. <laughs> Enforcing a set of rules is also fairly straightforward. But we have to do more than that. If their greatest danger is this foolishness in their heart, then we have to relate to them at this level. We have to deal with their inner life. And often that is complicated and messy and emotional and challenging. We need to be patient. We need to be willing to have difficult conversations, many of them. We have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to get below the surface. And sometimes we won't know what to say or how to respond. We'll be left wondering if we did the right thing. We need wisdom from above, don't we? Thankfully, it's promised to us if we ask. James chapter 1 verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not an expert on the subject of parenting. I'm not. I've made mistakes with my children, and I'm sure to make some more. I'm dealing with fresh challenges and trying to figure out what to do and how to apply biblical principles. (laughs) The message tonight is for me as much as it's for anyone in this room. But that said, God has called me to minister to you, to help you in your Christian lives. And so if I can help you in this area, please ask. I'm happy just to listen if that's what you need. I can share with you what I know from Scripture. I'm, I'm happy to share from personal experience. You don't have to face the difficulties and the heartaches of parenting by yourself. Even if you'd just like me to pray for you, please do come and ask. May God help us in this sacred task. And may God bless our children. Amen.